listening to 90% Mental, Conversations with Grant Parr, episode 171. Today, mental performance coach Grant Parr sits down with CEO of ShakeOut and former D1 basketball player Classy James to talk about her mindset as an entrepreneur and how athletics and a career-ending injury influenced her start as an entrepreneur. Classy shares how her tenacity on the court translates into her tenacity in the business world. If you want to know more about overcoming adversity as an athlete dealing with life after sports and using it to fuel you, then this is a must-listen episode. Are you ready to raise your game? 2021 is the year to increase your performance on and off the field. The Athlete's Edge Journal was designed to cultivate self-confidence and mental resilience through the power of sports psychology. Whether you are a professional athlete, a former college athlete, or have aspirations of greatness in the future, this journal is for you. Visit winthementalgame.com and use the promo code GRANTPAR20 to receive a 20% discount at checkout. Act now to take your mental game to the next level. What if you could rapidly accelerate your team's performance and skill acquisition just minutes before practice or game? NeuroTrainer triggers high-performance states with virtual reality brain training that can be deployed in the gym or at home. In just eight minutes, your team will be more focused and ready for whatever you or the game throws at them. Visit NeuroTrainer.com to schedule your demo and get your team locked in. Hey, Classy, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing awesome, man. It's uh, This is going to be, an, I believe, it's going to be an incredible podcast. We're going to get into your mindset as an entrepreneur, mm-hmm. but how athletics and also your injury, your career-ending injury, led you into what you're doing now with your company, ShakeOut. We're going to talk about some familiar people that, that are close to both of our hearts uh, later in the show. So I'm super excited to have you on my show. I'm so excited. I'm super excited to be here. So thanks so much. And I'm just, I'm excited to have the conversation. Beautiful. So let's, let's get into it. Cause I know doing research on you and I know the way that you played the game of basketball, you were immensely tough. And we'll talk a little bit about, you know, your defense and how intense you were on the court mm-hmm. and how that translated into being an entrepreneur. But let's talk about mental toughness. So when yeah. you think about being mentally tough, what does that mean to you? The first thing that comes to mind is welcoming change, right? Having the capacity to know that nothing is what it's going to be at all times. And so it's getting comfortable and uncomfortable situations, right? Knowing that adversity is going to come at some point and how do you welcome it, right? Do you run away from it or do you embrace it and you lean into it? And those are things that I had to do as a young athlete to become mentally tough. And those are the same lessons that I've taken into working in tech and also being an entrepreneur, but most importantly, doing those things while being a woman of color, who's also a millennial, right? So um, I have to be mentally tough because it is, it is quite difficult to do the things that I'm doing and look the way that I look and be the age that I'm I'm at to be able to accomplish a lot of the goals that I've achieved thus far. And just following your career, not only as an athlete, but also as an entrepreneur, uh, you've done a ton in what I call as a short amount of time. You still have so much time to, to make your impact, but you've done so much. We're going to uncover what you've done. 
uh, at Cisco and also with your, your company shakeout. Mm-hmm. But when we think about mental, being mentally tough, when you re, like, when you reflect on your whole athletic career and even your corporate career, can you share a specific time like that time when you had to be mentally tough? That's very monumental. When you think about all the things you went through, what was that, that most mentally tough moment you had to go through? Um, I would say in athletics, um, it was making the decision to, to transfer schools when I was like, I think I was like 18. Um, I was recruited, you know, out of high school to go to Oregon state. Um, there were some coaching changes that happened. So I still went to Oregon state, um, to give it, you know, a year. It didn't really work out. And at that moment I had to make a decision, like my first adult decision of, do I stay somewhere where things can just, you know, be okay. Or do I make a decision that can change the trajectory of my future? Right. Um, and I had to be tough in that because it was really difficult. Um, a lot of things were at play. My, my youth was, you know, something that was, I'm not going to say a hindrance, but I didn't really have a lot of life experience. I still really don't. I'm still fairly young. But being 18, making that decision to leave at the time a Path 10 school to then go to a school that was a mid-major school, um, I had to just trust in my intuition trust in I was making the right decision and also lean in to advisors and mentors that I had in my life to help me make that decision. So I also feel like being mentally tough is not being afraid to ask for help when you need help. You don't have Mm -hmm. to do it all by yourself. So that was something I think in athletics that really helped me. And then even in like the corporate environment, I remember getting the job at Cisco and not feeling like I added value, not feeling like I was supposed to be there. I could have easily gotten a job as maybe a college coach or, you know, doing something in the world of sports, but I chose to do something that I was interested in where I actually had a background. Both of my parents worked in tech my entire childhood. Um, My dad still works in tech. My mom right now doesn't work in tech. And so I was like, well, I've grown up like at Cisco. I'm called a Mm. Cisco baby. My mom worked at the company for over 22 years. I used to spend my summers in her cubicle. I used to do her PowerPoint presentations because I've always been better than her at PowerPoint. Um, And so (laughs) naturally, (laughs) naturally. And so but I remember um, the first boss I had at Cisco hired me. Was it a beautiful and incredible woman inside and out. She went on maternity leave shortly after I was hired. So I was like, no, my run, my, my one ally, the person that believed wow. in me, that brought me on to work at this company, you know, has to deal with life, has to deal with having her second child. And I was left to report directly to her boss, who I felt like didn't really believe in me. And we were experiencing a lot of turnover in our team at the time. And I remember him telling me, If you're not happy here, you should just leave. Validating what I already felt in myself that I didn't belong. And at that time, my mom's building was across the street from mine because we were both in supply chain. As any child does, I ran across the street to my mom, like sobbed in her eyes and sobbed in her arms and just told her, I don't think I'm supposed to work here. I don't think the tech industry is for me. I don't belong here. And she told me that if you didn't belong here, you wouldn't be here. Never allow someone else, whether they're in a leadership position or not, to 
deter you from something that you were destined to do. Now, we didn't know if tech was where I was supposed to be, but I was supposed to be there at that moment. So I shouldn't leave the industry because of someone else's thoughts or someone else having a bad day. And that right there changed so much for me because after that moment, that's when I decided to go back to school to Santa Clara to get my MBA. That's when I started to realize that a lot of athletes were looking up to me being a former athlete and now someone that's working in the tech space. And I leaned into what was painful for me and I got my MBA and I created my business while I was in the MBA program to pay it forward. So had that person not pushed me, I maybe wouldn't have had shakeout today. I don't know. Wow. That's beautiful. You know, what I love about earlier, what you're talking about um, being mentally tough is, is not to do it all by yourself. And that's cool because I've never, like I've said this, my listeners have heard this for the last four or five years. I've been doing this show. Every time I ask that question about mental toughness, I would say 98% of every answer has been a little bit different. Mm-hmm. And so what I've, what I've never heard and never even thought of is it's resources, not only your internal resources, but knowing your external resources, your support system, yeah. that's being mentally tough. That's about being so present in the moment that you know what to do and may not have to come from the inside. It needs to come from the outside. Yeah. Yeah. So that's beautiful. Beautiful. So when you talked about transitioning from Oregon state to San Jose state, mm-hmm. Was it easy to come back because it was familiar and it was home? Yeah. Or was being at Oregon, was that at Oregon State, was was that uh, was that culture shock there? Was it, did you get homesick at all or? Yeah, so it was my first time away from home and I did miss home, but Oregon wasn't that far from California. I did not like the weather. Um, mm. It was gloomy a lot of the times it was raining. It, you know, I had to experience snow being from Silicon Valley. It's like, I don't really want to be with the snow. So it, I didn't, I was very depressed as well. Like I can be open and transparent by saying that now, because I understand what depression is and I was depressed there and I missed my my parents, I miss my family. Um, and also just me and the the coach at the time, we just did not see eye to eye. That was not the coach that recruited me. I really wasn't playing. Um, I was constantly asking like, what are things that I can do to get more playing time? And I feel like I was just getting received information and I was implementing that feedback and I was putting in the work, but it wasn't like showcasing and me getting an opportunity to show what I can do on the court. Mm. And so San Jose state only happened because of my high school coach that coupled with the fact of the, the, the new coach that was taken on the role at San Jose state was formerly at Bakersfield and Bakersfield played against Oregon state um, in like preseason. And he remembered me. And so when my high school coach, you know, told him like about me, he was like, I already want her because honestly, where, where I was lined up at that moment, a lot of schools did not have scholarships. And a lot of schools that were recruiting me out of high school were upset because I chose not to go with them. So it's like, oh, now you want to come and play at my school when I was trying to offer you in high Mm -hmm. school. But at the time too, I committed to Oregon State. Um, my sophomore year in high school. I think I was the first basketball player in the class of 2010, female basketball player to commit to a college. That's not something that like, is like, woohoo. I just committed so early because the coach at the time um, was someone that I looked up to, not just as a coach, but as a woman. And when she 
unfortunately was no longer the coach when I was graduating my senior year, I had to make a decision that do I still give Oregon State a chance or not? I gave it a chance. It did not work out. Again, like we're saying, tapping into my resources, I did not know the world of college athletics, but my high school coach, she did. And she has always been one of my biggest advocates. And she made sure that I was able to find a school where I would still thrive. And so I owe a lot of just a lot of like what I have become and who I have become as a woman to her. And we're going to, we're going to save a a spot on the show to talk about uh, your coach who is Sue Phillips, who Mm -hmm. I had a chance to work with her for three, three years. Um, She's going to be a lifetime friend. She's been in my, my book that I released a couple of years ago. was one of my testimonials. She's by far the best coach I've ever worked with. I mean, at all levels. So yeah. I share that, that frequency of, you know, of how she impacts you um, and that trust. Cause I, I trust her. I trust her with my career. I trust her with, with information and guidance. So that's incredible. So we're going to, we're going to talk a little bit about her towards the end, okay. but as I'm getting to know you a little bit more and know your, your backstory, you are a competitor. Yeah. You, when it time, yeah. When it's like competing in life and in in the workplace and athletics. So where does that where did that come from? Like where did where was that born to compete? Um, I'm the youngest of my siblings, and I always wanted to be the best. So it's. <laughs> It started off there. And I think I was really the only sibling that really took sports seriously. Um, I was like that athlete where when I was in second grade, I wanted to play football because my dad was um, a a football coach for um, in my city of East Palo Alto. He was taking a lot of kids from the streets and giving them an outlet to do something that was productive. And so I grew up around football and I wanted to play football because I was such like a a tomboy. He made me be a cheerleader, which was really rude. And so, because he didn't (laughs) want his daughter playing football, I eventually quit to play t-ball with all of my boy cousins, but I always was immersed in athletics. My dad was a basketball coach, a football coach, would bring me to all of his practices. And I think it was always that feeling of wanting to do more of wanting to be better. And I was competitive, not just in athletics, but also in academics. I always wanted to have the best grades. Um, I always wanted to give the best performances, the best speeches, and just always wanting to improve myself. And even as a young kid, never being complacent with where I was at. So it's not like, okay, I got maybe a 91%. That's an A minus, so that's good. It's like, no, what could I have done to get to a 95, right? What could I have done to get to an 100? Even if I never make it to 100%, that's always the goal. And so even if I fall a little bit short, I'm still doing really good. And I think that I've also applied that in sports. Like one of the things that I can never control, no basketball player can ever control if you have a hot hand that night. You can literally be putting up all of the shots in in the pregame and hitting everything. And then the game starts and you can't make a single shot. But for me, what I always could do is show up as a defender. Unless I was physically hurt, I can defend. Even if my shots are not falling, I can always defend. And so I actually deem myself as being a defensive catalyst because that's something that I always can control. Now, if I had a good offensive game or not, like that's great, but I was never allowed like 
in myself personally. I never allowed myself to have a bad defensive game because that's something that I can control every single game. And Mm. I think that's also what I carry on into what I do at work and what I do in entrepreneurship. There's so many uncertainties and you have to let the uncertainties go to a higher power. But the things that you can control are like your attitude, your work ethic, right? How you handle adversity, how you communicate with people, how you treat people. Those are things that you can control. And so as long as you're doing those things to the best of your ability, trust the other things will come into play the way that they're supposed to. Man, you're speaking my language. I love it. Yeah. Cause what you can control is your attitude, effort, energy, and leadership. Yeah. And I, I always talk about it with athletes all the time. I'm like, don't get stuck in the math, the stats, the outcomes, the results, all that stuff. If you really want to evaluate a stat, your attitude, effort, energy, and leadership, because those are things you can control mm-hmm. all the other stuff that gets so like evaluated, you have no control of it. So yep evaluate things you can't control. And what I do love is when you talked about in, in academics, you get an A minus. So a lot of athletes, student athletes, they'll go, man, I got an A minus right on. And they just, they move on from it. Uh, they'll go into the, the game and they'll have, you know, they'll shoot 95%. So they're like, sweet, right on. But they don't, some of them don't think about, okay, I still need to look at what could I could have done better. Yeah. And this is what I love about Russell Wilson. He's like, hey, man, if something's good, great. How do you make it better? How do you make it greater? And it seems like, is it fair to say that just, even in basketball, even if you had a great game, you did you reflect on like, what could I could have done better? Yeah, I'm, I'm never satisfied. And I think that's a blessing and a curse because I'm always trying to be a perfectionist. And that's not tangible. And that's sometimes detrimental to my mental health. However, I'm always looking for ways to improve. So I have to also re-change like the narrative instead of saying like, you aren't good enough. It's like, okay, you did great. But what are things that we can do to like set us up for success um, next time? And and that way I'm not like, oh my gosh, like you missed that one opportunity. Like, how could you do that to yourself? Because that can take you down a rabbit hole of just like, I think self self-hurt and self-pain. And I don't, I don't like feeling that way either. Right. No, exactly. Exactly. So basketball, like how did, like, I know that you, know, you grew up in a football house, mm-hmm. uh, which, which I love because I've spent 15 <laughs> years playing that, that sport. But when you moved into getting out of cheerleading, you started getting more into your, you know, being an athlete, how did, when did you know that basketball was it? Like you had a gift for it. I think basketball was always it. My parents just put me into all sports, but basketball was like always like the main sport. Um, Even when I did the cheerleading thing temporarily, um, it was always like, okay, she was okay at basketball. I think the first time I actually played on a team was YMCA when I was in kindergarten and was terrible, completely and totally terrible. Mm. The only basket I made was like the last shot of the last game. And my parents said, I just went crazy. I just like, I think maybe I, I like the success of mm. making that last shot. Even if I had to travel before I made the shot, I don't remember. I was five, but I continued 
to work on my craft, right? My dad always pushed me because he knew I also had a lot of energy. So I don't have kids yet, but I'm sure that when I do start my family, I'm probably going to have kids that were like me that were running around, like nonstop talking, like annoying everyone in the household. I'm like the baby of the family. They're like, put her in sports and basketball just stuck. And then my dad saw that, wow, she's actually pretty good. Wow. Like now they want her to play up a level, you know, going through like NJB and AAU, um, things of that nature. And I just was always so dedicated to something. Like once I'm fixated on something, I will not stop unless I have perfected it in Classy's definition of what perfecting it is. And so Mm. I think that's what it was with basketball. I just kept at it. I had so much fun doing it. It was a physical sport. I kind of could play football a little bit on the basketball court. You know, I might ruffle a little feathers, how I hit people a little bit. Um, But I was was able to find the physicality um, that I was looking for and also an outlet for me to like showcase all of my energy that I had as a child. So then after a long weekend of maybe eight games, I would come home and the house is silent because rambunctious classy is not flying off the walls, screaming and running around because she's tired. So that's kind of how basketball took over, not just my life, but our entire household. Oh, that's beautiful. Well, let's, let's talk about the, the mindset of when you play basketball, because I've read it, you know, a lot from, from your own words about how you played defense. Mm-hmm. It was you, people knew when they were playing against you uh, defensively because you brought it. And yeah. so I'm like, okay, I'm going to check this out. Cause I saw some film like at San Jose state. I'm like, yes, like <laughs> you definitely can bring it. So when you think about maybe a word or maybe just a couple words, um, if you were going to like classify your mindset as an athlete or a basketball player, like how would you describe that? Oh, a couple of words. So I would say the first one that comes to mind is like protector. Mm-hmm. And I say protector because, you know, as a defensive person, you're protecting, you know, your team's like, you know, hoop, right? You're then protecting, you know, your team from the other offensive person from lighting you guys up, right? Um, So that's one word that comes to mind. Um, Another is honestly heart. One thing that people can always say is that she left her heart on the court like physically, I'm the person that's flying into the bleachers to get a loose ball. I'm the one that's diving everywhere. That is why I sustained the injuries that I sustained. I had a a stress fracture in my right hip, which put me out for a year, my transfer year. And then I had a bone and cartilage transplant in my left knee. And that's the injury that ended my career. But all of that was a lead up to me sacrificing my body for the betterment of my team, of that game. And so I I don't care what anyone says, on every team that I was on, I might not have been the best or the fastest, but I had the biggest heart. And that, no one can debate me on that. Like no one can ever debate me on that. Like Classy was sacrificing her body for this team. Even if we're losing by 50, it's like, what are you doing? I'm like, well, the game's not over. Right. But, you know, it's very characteristic about that is because I've, you know, I've had the opportunity to work with Mitty High School, you know, alma mater, 
-hmm. And with Sue, I would say it doesn't matter if you're first drink, second or third. If you're going to be on her team, you got to possess that characteristic of heart. You've got to be willing. If you're going to play for a minute, you're going to play for, you know, 18 minutes. You've got to put, because if you don't put it out on there, not only you're not going to play, but you're probably not going to be on the team. But again, we're going to talk about Sue in a second here, um, because I know she brings out the heart of people. So, um, so that that's incredible. When you start talking about like protector, I don't know if you're familiar with the Donald Foyle at all. Mm-mm. He played for um, not only he played for the Magic, but he played for the Warriors back in the day, and he still has the most uh, the the record for the most shots shot blocks. Uh-huh. And um, I asked him, it's kind of similar, but I'm saying, you know, when you're in the key and you're protecting the key, and someone comes in to shoot, whether dunking, whatever, what is your mentality? What's your mindset? And he's like, and he like looks at me, and he's like, well, dude, this is my house, and guess what? I didn't invite you through the front door. So you're not coming, you're not coming to my key. You're not coming through my space. So he was protecting his space. Yep. So kind of same mentality, right? Yep. Um, so I want to, I want to shift gears a little bit into your career injury because I went through it too, uh, yep. different, but, um, and mine lasted two decades. Mm-hmm. Like I, I dealt with depression, identity issues. I dealt with a lot of stuff transitioning out of sport because of my injury. So I know you shared a little bit about, about your injury. Um, how did you like walk me through some of the emotions that you you went through with your career injury? And then how did you get through it? How did you, you know, move through all those emotions? Yeah, I didn't anticipate like when it happened, it happened so fast. Cause I knew about like my stress fracture and my hip Um, I knew I was going to bounce back from that. It was perfect timing because I was transferring. So I had to sit out a year anyway. So that year I sat out, but I was on crutches for six months to let my stress fracture heal naturally because I did not want to have hip surgery at the age of 19. Um, but because of that injury, when I came back, I was favoring my, my left side because my hip injury was on the right side. And that was the beginning of my career ending injury. I remember it was one game, a really big post player fell on my knee. And like, that's when the bone and cartilage started to just float around and my knee was breaking off. And then it led to having a scope. Um, And I thought the scope cleaning out the bone and cartilage would like suffice, but I needed a whole actual transplant of, you know, bone and cartilage into um, the outer part of my knee, which is more weight bearing than the inside of my knee. And at that moment, because I was a transfer athlete, like when I stopped playing, it was four years. And so my dad was like, well, it was time for you to, you know, be done anyway, technically. Yeah. Like, you know, he's a very like, you know, uh, he's emotional, but he's like, okay, realistic. We got to keep going. And that's where I get it from. But sometimes I'm like, I just want to hug. Like, can you, can you just embrace the fact that this is now a death of, who I was since I was like five years old. And it was hard because although my parents will always be my biggest fans, will always support me, they had no idea what I was going through because they've never dealt with what I had to deal with. For my entire life, it was, oh, Classy, she has a basketball game. She's the basketball player. Like she's, you know, she's busy. You know, we all know she's busy. She can't come to family events because she's traveling, because it's season, because she's training. But when I had to remove the basketball player from like my job title, 
I didn't know who I was, what I stood for, what I was passionate about, how I added value to this world. I was literally lost and I had no one to talk to. My, my teammates that were like my sisters at the time, they were going on playing. They weren't, again, experiencing what I was experiencing. And also at that time, I was graduating in December of 2014 with my undergraduate degree. And if I would have been on the team, they would have paid for a semester of me starting grad school because I would have been competing. But because I wasn't going to compete, my coach at the time at San Jose State basically was like, wanted to cut her ties. I don't agree with how she handled things. From what I heard, she wanted to try to give my second year, I'm no, second semester scholarship to a walk-on, which you can't do because when you sign your contract for that year, athletes, it's so important to understand the documentation that you're signing on a yearly basis when you're a scholarship athlete, because every year you're renewing that contract. So my contract was technically valid for a whole year, but instead of letting me start grad school and letting me stay within the San Jose state like academic system, they chose just to cut their ties because they're only responsible for taking care of my undergraduate degree. So I was basically kicked off my team when I was the team captain. I didn't really have any friends or support from the athletic department, um, from my coaches, from my teammates. My parents, bless their heart, they loved me, but they had no idea what I was going through. And then I don't have a job. And I also have to have surgery after walking across the stage. I then like two weeks later had to have my big bone and cartilage transplant, which means I had to learn how to walk again. I was told that I would never be able to run or play basketball, which is still something that I struggle with because I'm a very active person. Um, I try to go for jogs nowadays, but my knee might swell up. So the physical, emotional, and spiritual toll that my career ending injury took was something that I'll never forget because again, I lost my community. Mm-hmm. I, I lost the sport. I lost the physical ability to do what I have done for my entire life. And then I was thrown out of a world that I had belonged to for the majority of my life and had to start from scratch with no direction. So wow. that is how it was for wow. me. Well, what's really interesting is how long. So when you, you go through this and then you're going through all the emotion, you're going through the aftermath. Mm-hmm. How long did you stay in this like loss of identity, loss of who you are? And were you, was there any sense of like, were you pissed off at the sport? Because like, I, I can speak for myself that, again, I told you, it took me two decades to get over my emotional bullshit with my, with my injury. But I, it, it took me a long, long time to talk about, just to even say that I'm an athlete. I mean, I broke records. I played on championship teams. I was a quarterback. I think my life was great. Yeah. But because of that, in, that situation and the way I left this sport, I was so frustrated that I didn't get to pick. My body picked. Yeah. And, and, um, and I hated talking about me being an athlete. And it took me almost two decades to finally turn. So, like, how long did it take you to... to to be in that, that funk, if you will. And were you, were you like pissed off at the sport? I will say I I was never actually pissed off at basketball. All I can do is be grateful for basketball because great, because basketball has enabled me to do things that I never thought that I would do. What I was pissed off at was the lack of support that I had from the school that I was a part of, from my teammates who I'd always been there for, Um, and for just like the lack of mental health resources available to athletes as they're dealing with this transition. That's what I was more so mad about because 
like, although, you know, that school at the time was not the school that came and recruited me to work, to play for them, you know, and the coach that brought me over from Oregon state, he left, like he was unfortunately, you know, no longer my coach. So we had another coach. So it's like, I went through so many coaches in my athletic career, like the coach that I ended up with, like, yeah, you know, I'm sure she appreciated me as a player, but she didn't really care about me as a person, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's also a problem that I have um, with sometimes the, the recruiting system is they come to your parents' house and they tell their parent, they tell your parents, we're going to take care of your child, not only when they're an athlete at this school, but even when they graduate. I don't know how accurate that is. I can't speak for all schools, but I can speak for my experience. I was just another number. And that also stems for, from me creating ShakeOut. It's like I turned my pain and something that I'm passionate into into like what I feel like is my purpose. And my purpose is I understand that the athletic system is a business and they have to win games. If coaches do not win games, they lose their job. It is not necessarily their responsibility to provide me with all the resources or other athletes, but guess what? I'm going to create a company. I'm going to create a solution to this problem because I do not want a single athlete feeling the way that I had to feel. I love basketball. I'm grateful for basketball, but I'm pissed off of the lack of support that I had when I was going through what I was going through when I was suffering depression. And when I literally did not have anyone that I felt comfortable to turn to, you know, a lot of what you're saying too, from a coach perspective is, and this is what I think makes a great coach and a transformational coach. And again, we're going to talk about Sue in a second, because she falls into this, into this bucket, but she was so incredible about coaching the heart of the athlete. That means when you do that, you're coaching more than just the athlete. You get to know the person outside of the sport. Mm-hmm. And so I know that's that's what made her so special. But your your theme of what you're talking about is support. So let's talk. Let's go into your company shakeout, because that's what I'm hearing is all about being in service, supporting, giving the right resources and making sure people that are going in the right direction. But they're being heard. Yeah, right? they're being felt. They're being hugged you know, yeah. emotionally. So, so talk to my, share with my listeners a little about ShakeOut um, and a little background on what, what motivated you. Yeah. What motivated me was the gap in the athletic industry. Um, I've always been a solution oriented person that we can all identify problems all day long, but how many of us then create solutions to the problems that we're complaining about? And when I got my job at Cisco, a lot of athletes were asking me simple things like, How did you get a job in tech? Can you review my resume? How do you prepare for an interview? How do you negotiate a salary? You know, what is your experience like? How do you determine if a company culture is fit for you? Certain things that you just don't know until you get into the corporate landscape. And I think also they're looking at me as you went from no experience to working at one of the biggest tech companies in the world. Like Cisco Systems is not a small startup. Like it is one of the OG companies <laughs> in the Valley. Oh yeah. And so I realized a gap and I created a solution while I was in grad school. The company started off with me more so wanting to be kind of like a transitional coach. Um, I went through a, a life coaching program and wanted to learn how to help people like uncover things within themselves. Cause we all know the answers to the questions that we're asking. We just sometimes need someone to help pull those answers out of us. Um, but then it actually was really difficult for me to land gigs at 
colleges and universities due to budget constraints. And although I love giving back, my company's not a nonprofit. Um, I created this company while I was in my MBA program. Um, student loans, you know, those cost money. So I have to learn that I have a business that's not a nonprofit. It's a for-profit. So in me also relocating from the Bay Area to Atlanta, Georgia, how I was wanting to create my offer with ShakeOut was different. And I had been to so many amazing conferences for women in technology, for Black people in technology. And I said, I need a conference like this for my athletes. I need to curate something that was made by an athlete for athletes. And that sparked what we're calling the Athletes Unite Conference. Our first year of having it will be next will be next July, actually, the 15th and 16th of 2022. And we're bringing together mental health resources, free mental health resources for athletes, opportunities and exposures into how to start a business, into different companies. We're having a career fair. We have companies that are not only signing up to be sponsors, but are signing up to come to our career fair to hire athletes. They are looking specifically to not only talk about what does it take to work at blah, blah, blah company. We have jobs and we want to hire you. Right. Mm-hmm. And then last but not least, I'm bringing together a community of athletes that I call the shakeout, like the turnover, the, the change, the, the transition out of athletics. Um, So every single athlete, in my opinion, either has gone through the shakeout, will go through the shakeout or is going through the shakeout. So let's bring us all together and figure out how we can support one another on our journeys, no matter what stage that we're on. I don't care if you're one year removed or 10 years removed. We all have a similar story that we struggled mentally. We struggled physically. We lack community. And for a lot of people, we lack the opportunity to work. We don't have jobs because our resumes do not reflect what skill sets we bring to the table. So Mm. I'm like debunking so many myths with this conference. And it was a way for me to impact a larger amount of athletes at once than trying to go university to university and do workshop to workshop. It's like this one event. It's both in person and virtual where people can join the experience and have an amazing opportunity to network with our companies that are looking to hire athletes with our community that wants to connect with you and with mental health resources that athlete or not, we all need, especially coming out of this COVID era. We all need therapy. (laughs) (laughs) Big time, big time. But you know what? And I've talked a lot about this on my, on my show, what's becoming very universal. Like there are things that are just universal in life. Uh, You know, whether if it's music is very universal, Mm -hmm. it's transition. I don't care what level you are. If you are playing baseball for seven years and you move on from your transitioning out of sport, if you're going from middle school to high school, you're transitioning to two different mm-hmm. environments. If you're transitioning out of relationships, you're transitioning from one company to the next, you're transitioning. And with that transition, there's so many different things, so many dynamics that can affect you. Either they can motivate you or they can not motivate you. They can demo. I mean, there's all these different things that can happen with transition. So yeah. one of the things that why I was so excited to have you on the show, because I think we're talking a lot about this, but I don't know if there's people like putting stuff in action as much as we should. Now, mental health, man, things are in action. Like it's, 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 it's at a point where it's, it's there and I love it. We yeah. just need to keep on riding the wave here. But with transition and having resources and doing things that you're doing with conferences, and um, we need to step up a little more in that area and you're doing it. Nope. No. Yeah. I think 
I, I think there's like layers and levels to it, right? Like, I think that like people that are getting into like this life coaching sector, a life coach is far different than a therapist, right? I feel like in your life, you need what I call the board of directors, oh, right? Yeah. You need someone that maybe is your therapist. You need somebody that maybe is your life coach. You need someone that is your mentor. And when we're talking about the transition, the transition looks different for every single person. Some people need more mental health resources. Some people maybe have mental health resources and just need a job. They're like, listen, in order for me to have a therapist, I kind of need job with benefits, right? I kind of need to be able to pay my life coach. And so I'm trying to put together all the things that I think fundamentally everyone needs to, in order to have like a successful transition and success to everyone is defined differently. But I believe that in order to be successful, you need to be okay between the ears because if mentally you're not okay, nothing else matters. I think that having a support system is so important. Like I've emphasized time and time again, And I also feel like understanding what you want to do in your career, whether you want to become an entrepreneur or whether you want to work a nine to five is also important. And last but not least, like just paying it forward and helping other people, like pretty much all of our speakers are former athletes and they're all doing amazing things from being authors to creating apps to being like, you know, operations managers at big tech companies, right. To becoming really just like badass entrepreneurs. And so an athlete can look at one of our speakers and say, I can see myself in them. They're doing something that I want to do. Like I don't have to go pro in order to be successful because we all know the stats that most of us are not going pro. We're going pro in something other than our sport. Exactly. hundred percent. And you know what's so funny? I talk about this so much about success because you're right. Everybody actually has a different definition and meaning of success. And I just heard this 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 week. Um, this woman was talking about success, and she's like, "Success is is making an impact." Yeah. And guess what you're doing? Making an impact. <laughs> yeah, making an impact. And so that that is huge. So man, everything you're saying resonates with me. I hope it resonates with my listeners. Um, in a second here, we're going to, we're going to direct people to, to follow you and in your company shake out here in a second, but Sue Phillips share just that one, maybe a one story that a Sue Phillips story where it impacted you or it just sticks in your mind, how impactful she was. I owe a lot of who I am as a woman to Sue Phillips and the most impactful thing that I can think of was actually something that she did for me when I was not an athlete for her anymore. Um, she helped groom me. I had a terrible attitude. I would roll my eyes all the time. And the lessons that she taught me were not just lessons as a basketball player, were lessons as a young woman. And how do you want people to look at you as a young woman? How do you want your legacy to go on? And I remember when I made my like transition from being at Oregon state to then getting to San Jose state, there were certain things that were happening in like amongst coaches. And I was trying to talk to certain college coaches and I was finding out that certain coaches at within the Oregon state, you know, um, coaching staff at the time were bad mouthing me. Mm -hmm. And when coach Phillips got wind of that, she shut all those rumors down because the credibility from that woman, like 
is far more impactful than any coach that I know of personally. Mm -hmm. And if she's speaking to who I am, people are going to take that serious because she helped create who classy James, the basketball player was. I became a defensive catalyst because when I was a freshman, she had me playing defense on the best point guard in the history of Archbishop Mitty, Danielle Robinson. So if you as a, if you as a freshman, And I was no way, shape or form ever nearly as fast as Danielle was, but she was the, she was the point guard to turn me into the defensive person that I was today. And coach Phillips knew that I was going to be something special. And she invested in me as a young teenager and the lessons that she's instilled in me, I carry on in everything that I do. And so like, I just, I don't get to speak to her as often as I would like. I don't get to go home as often as I as I would like, but I always think about her and the lessons and the little quirky things that she would say, <laughs> like, and the, they sometimes like roll off the tip of my tongue. Like people give you lip service, saying one thing, but doing another, like you're not giving anyone lip service. That was one of her favorite things to say when I played under her. And so we were like, listen, I'm not giving anyone lip service. What I say I'm going to do is what I'm going to do. I'm not just going to, you know, tell you what you want to hear. So I just have so much respect for coach Phillips. Um, I love that woman so much. And I just like, I thank her all the time, whether she hears it directly from me or not. Um, she's just an amazing person and has an amazing program. And she will continue to impact the lives of the future generation of not just women basketball players, but women. Every single athlete that is blessed to learn from Coach Phillips, take those lessons. And it's far bigger than basketball. Oh, yeah. A hundred percent. And I know I'm going to I'm going to make sure she's going to listen to this because <laughs> I, I still talk to her. So uh I know that you will, um, this will put a smile on her face for sure. Um, one more question real quick, and this is deep. It's all about reflection. Yeah. So typically I'd want you to kind of explain a little bit just to condense this one word. So when you think about reflecting on your whole career, your whole professional workplace uh, career, what do you think you've learned the most about yourself? So what what, what would def- categorize that in one word? One word is is quite difficult, but I think the one word that comes to mind is just adversity. And that's just the epitome of my journey has been adversity. Um, And for me, adversity is my best friend. Like I relish in it. Like, please throw me something that is going to be hard because it's going to help me grow as a person. So I, like, like I said, I welcome change. And I think the one word is adversity. Like that is just the epitome of my life thus far. And it's the epitome of like most athletes, you know, we all go through adversity. Oh yeah. And you know, an adversity can be mean a lot of things, but to me, sometimes, you know, we think of adversity as a crisis. So where there's a crisis, there's an opportunity. So I'm the same way when shit starts coming my way and, I, and it's, and it's hard and it's an adverse moment. I get a little bit excited because I've trained myself that on the other side of it is going to be an opportunity. Yeah. I just got to be, I got to allow myself to see it. So um, awesome. 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 So how do my, how do my, uh, my listeners, how do they connect with you on social media learn more about shakeout and just yeah. stay tuned. Yeah. So you can follow me on Instagram at classy J C L A S S Y E J. If you want to follow our Instagram account for shakeout, it's at shakeout LLC. Um, and 
LinkedIn, Classy James. I think I'm the only Classy James in the world. So if you just Google <laughs> Classy James, you're bound to fa- find me somewhere and, and one of the many things that I'm doing. Awesome. Well, Classy, thank you for sharing your story, your athletic journey, um, what you're doing for athletes, because it's definitely needed. I definitely needed you when I was going through my stuff. Um, I needed thanks, me too. <laughs> right? So thanks again for sharing your, your love and your energy and your passion. Appreciate it. No, thank you so much for the opportunity to share it with, with your listeners and on your platform. I really appreciate it. You bet.